We're going to go to the Word of God. And I love in the New Testament, when they had heard Jesus had risen and that seen the evidence of that, there was a greeting that went around where people would say, Christ is risen, and the reply would be, He is risen indeed. And there was no doubt about His resurrection. Uh, in fact, many, of, many people who walked were witnesses of that. And Paul would later go on and he would speak to the church in Corinth, and he would say, if Christ had not been risen from the dead, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. How many are glad today that our faith isn't useless, uh, that we can be confident today that we serve a risen Lord who's alive and well. He lives in our heart and uh, He wants to do incredible things in all of our life. And here we get to celebrate the most important event in human history. In fact, the Easter story is the greatest story ever. And there's some pretty good stories out there. Uh, in fact, I'm sure many of you have had a friend tell a yarn and you thought it was good at the start, but then they added another dimension to it, and then it got better and better. Uh, it's a little bit like this story. You know, this story starts off, it doesn't look good, but it just gets better and better and better. And it's like, wow, uh, Jesus did this for me? Because the implications of Jesus not only dying and paying the penalty of our sin, but rising against are huge. That the massive, and I, I believe every human needs to wrestle with the implications of Jesus rising from the dead. And I, I want to say, none, no story has an impact like this story. Uh, this story is powerful. It's, it's the greatest turnaround, reversal, or comeback of all time. Uh, I know the Blues, after a season or a series uh, of not winning, uh, thank God they won on Friday. But it's, this is a better comeback than the Blues. It's a better comeback than, than any team. Uh, it's, it's the best comeback of all time because life and death are hinged on the story. And we're going to pick it up this morning from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, uh, and we're going to read from verse 1. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while, there was still, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the, saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, now Mary Magdalene was one of most, uh, Jesus' most famous followers. Uh, like those who had followed uh, Jesus for some time, she had an extraordinary faith. She she believed about Jesus what many of you do today. You believe, and many around the world, by the way, believe that, that He is our Lord and Savior. He, she believed more than He was a great teacher. Yes, she believed that, but she believed He was from God. She believed He was a miracle worker. Uh, she, she believed that Jesus came to bring about a new brand of compassion that the Roman Empire had never seen and that the Jews had lost. And she believed she believed he, Jesus. Jesus was a revolutionary. He was an extraordinary communicator. And, and she believed that he was like no person she had ever met. But get this, on, on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene believed that Jesus was dead and that he was going to stay dead. Uh, perhaps you know the story where Jesus was arrested, he was tried and condemned, and, and he was crucified. On the cross. 
Now, now generally when there was a crucifixion, what would happen is they would leave the body on the cross for days, in some cases even, even weeks. But, but Jesus had bled to death, so they were able to take his body off the cross. And what happened is a man by the name of Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea, uh, they begged Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, now, generally, when a body was taken off the cross, it was put in a dump. It was just thrown in a dump because it was illegal at that time to bury a crucified body. It was part of the punishment of the crime, whatever crime that was. But, but what would happen if you paid the centurion enough or you had enough connections, you could get the body and, and you could bury it. So, so Joseph of Arimathea, he was a man of resource and he was connected. And so he went to Pilate and he asked Jesus for the body. Uh, I don't know what he had to do to get Pilate to release the body. But just as the sun was setting on the Sabbath and it was about to be the middle of Passover, they took the body, these two men and perhaps some servants with them, and they quickly prepared his body for burial. And they put him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And what they did is they rolled a big stone in front of it. And they went home as sad as they'd ever been. See, see the way it worked back then is you, you leave a body in a tomb until there was nothing left but bones. And this took a different amount of time, you know, with the climate over there in that part of the world. Sometimes it'll take a little bit quicker. But what would happen is eventually they'll come back and they'll collect those bones and they'll put it in a bone box called an ossuary. And, and the thought was, that, hey, we'll put Jesus in the tomb and we'll go back and collect his bones, put it in this box. And maybe at some time we'll get this box and give it back to his mother. Now, the interesting thing about Mary Magdalene going before the sun was even up, it was like the Sabbath wasn't quite even over. over. She goes to the tomb, and I want you to imagine this in your mind. She's prepared to go into a tomb that's had a body there for two nights and a day. And she's going to re-embalm his body for burial. Now, I have always had questions as to why Mary Magdalene and her friends went into the tomb because they knew. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea quickly prepared the body for burial and then put it in a tomb. Now, now my assumption is that Mary Magdalene and her friends knew that two men probably didn't do a good job. So they decided they wanted to go back and get it right. Now, now think about this because this is significant. This woman loved Jesus so much. This woman had so much respect for Jesus. She was moved by his ministry. She was moved by his words. In fact, she, she was moved because Jesus performed a miracle in her life and healed her. She loved Jesus so much that she was willing to go into a tomb and unwrap and prepare him properly for burial. That's how much she loved Jesus. But come Easter morning, she believed he was dead and he was not coming back. And she brought with her things that she needed to embalm his body. When I read that story, I think, man, that's an extraordinary amount of love. Because who would you do that for? Think about that. Whose body would you bring out of a grave, unwrap it and prepare it for burial? 
when they've been in there for two nights in a day? Uh, would you do that for a child? Yeah, your grandparents? Maybe you do it for your spouse? Maybe you just want to ask that question right now. Would you do that for me? I don't know. I don't think Kathy would. But that's how much Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. She loved Jesus perhaps more than we do. She had seen things that we'll probably never see. She was more appreciative than we could ever imagine. And she was moved by his teachings more than perhaps we'll ever be moved. But on Easter morning, she thought he was dead. And she thought he was dead for good. And so when she was, she arrived at the tomb and she saw that the stone has, had been rolled away and, and she went in there. She was surprised and she was shocked that he wasn't there. And she didn't even assume that Jesus had risen from the dead. Listen to her response in verse 10. Two, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. It's like John's writing this. He's on a bit of an ego trip that he thinks he doesn't even need to mention his name. Of course, you know, that's John, the disciple who Jesus loved. But Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, they weren't at the tomb and they were hiding. Why were they hiding? Because they too assumed it was over. Game over. It was nice while it lasted, but it's all over. And they're figuring out what to do, whether we go to Samaria to hang out, because if the Romans took him, maybe they're going to come after us as well. So what are we going to do? They're thinking, well, where are we going to go from here? And Mary Magdalene comes running to them. And this is very important for those who are considering faith today, who are listening to this. This is really important because I want you to think about this. Because you know, here Jesus had declared what he was going to do. He was going to die. He was going to rise again. And he did what he said he was going to do. But nobody, nobody was standing outside the tomb counting down from 10. Okay, it's Easter Sunday morning. He's going to rise from the dead. The men and women who had eaten with Jesus, the men and women who had been touched by Jesus, the people who had heard the stories in, in, in live, in real life time, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the feeding of the 5,000, Lazarus. They were all there for those things. The, the men and women who saw Jesus, touched Jesus, wrote down what he said. They were parts of his greatest story. Not a single one of them was standing outside of the tomb waiting for Jesus to come back to life. Not one of them. Because everyone who knew Jesus was somebody just like you and I. They believe he was a good teacher. They believe he was a prophet. They believe, maybe they believed he was sent from God. They believed he was a miracle worker because he did that. They believed he was one of the wisest people that they'd ever met. They believed, yeah, he was a, definitely a powerful communicator, but they believed he was dead and he was not coming back. There was no one outside the tomb. No one expected a resurrection. And they believe perhaps like you and I do. Yeah, so Mary Magdalene runs into the room where the disciples are hanging out and hiding, hiding, and they say, Hey, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've put him. Do you know why she assumes they took the body out of the tomb? Because there was no body in the tomb. Oh, get that. <laughs> uh, 
So, so they saw the open tomb. And guess what? She, she didn't say, hey, guys, he's risen from the dead. She said, somebody's taken the body out of the tomb. Now, now Luke, Luke, he's a doctor. He investigates this full on, you know, and, and he's thoroughly talking to as many people who are involved. And he, he, he puts it down in an orderly account. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 10, it says, It was Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the others, who, others with them who told this to the apostles. So Mary Magdalene rushes in. She loves Jesus. She, again, has a whole lot of respect for Jesus. She believed what he taught and who he claimed to be. But she's thinking somebody stole the body. And all the apostles are gathered together, and she says, somebody's taken the body from an empty tomb. But, but listen to verse 11. It says, but they did not believe the woman because their words, uh, their words seemed to them like nonsense. What do you mean? There's no body in the tomb. They didn't jump to the conclusion there must have been a resurrection. Nonsense is an important word. Let, let me say what some of you think. You think somebody coming back to life after death is nonsense. Well, I've got great news for you. A lot of the first century Christians, the people who knew Jesus the best, the people who Jesus looked right into their eyes and, 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 and said, come follow me, and they followed him. Uh, the people who knew him the best, who were intimate with him, who sat by the campfire and talked to him, uh, the, the people who watched him do miracles, the, the, these very men thought an empty tomb was nonsense. They didn't expect a resurrection. They thought it was over. And they thought they were just going back to the lives that they came from. And that they were just trying to figure out how to do that. Do you think the resurrection is nonsense? Some would say, yeah. People don't come to life, back to life, especially when they've been drained of all their bodily fluids. People don't come back to life when they've been wrapped up and put in a tomb. Of course they thought it was nonsense. But let's jump down to verse 12. Peter got up. Have it got up. And ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away shouting, he's alive. He's alive. Oh, sorry, I made that verse up. He didn't do that. He didn't say this. Think about this. Peter would go on later and do extraordinary things. But this is what verse 12 really says. Verse 12 says, Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What had happened? Even when they saw the empty tomb, nobody assumed a resurrection. They believed about Jesus exactly what some of you do. Oh, he was a great prophet, great teacher. You know, I love that stuff about you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You know, the story of the prodigal son. That's amazing how, how the father received him with open arms. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, that, that's some good teaching for today. They, they believe like a lot of people do today. They believe when he died, he would stay dead. And dead people don't tend to come alive again. Now, here's the thing that you have to wrestle with this morning. 
Here's the thing that's so strange about the whole story of Jesus and, and the whole story around the resurrection. The first century followers of Jesus actually documented their disbelief. Here's why that is a big deal. Here's why, is because, here's the thing. If you're gonna fabricate a story about a resurrection, the whole reason for fabricating it is to keep the movement, keep this movement alive after Jesus is gone. And, and if you wanna be the hero, you would never document your disbelief. You never document the fact that you were cowards and that you had lost faith. You know, we all like being the heroes in the stories that we tell. They documented, yes, when Jesus was arrested, every one of them disappeared into the darkness when they allowed Jesus to be taken away in Peter's denial. So if you're going to make up a story, you wouldn't put in, no one believed, but, you know, in fact, if you made it up, you'd probably put, no one believed, but I did. Oh, we stood strong. Every, everybody lost their faith except John and I. Oh, we knew it all along. You know, we knew it was going to happen all along. We were waiting. You know, we had a prayer vigil. We had choirs outside the tomb. And when the sun came over the peak, we were counting down from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, Resurrection Sunday. Hey, you know, that's the type of story you'd tell, wouldn't you? You don't tell a story where you're the coward the whole way, where you abandon him. You don't tell a story where you don't know what's going on and you're frightened and afraid. Do you know why all four gospel writers present Jesus' closest followers as bewildered, confused and afraid? They did that simply because they were. And something happened because weeks later, not years later, not 85 years later, and, and people who do history will tell you it takes about 85 years for a generation to die off and the next generation to actually get the story wrong and start adding to the story. And soon what happens is it becomes folklore and then it becomes myth. But, but this is not long. Weeks went by, not years Weeks went by where the, the same group of people, the eyewitnesses of what happened, poured out onto the streets of Jerusalem. And they, get this, they didn't teach what Jesus taught. Uh, they didn't teach the Sermon on the Mount or the story of the Good Samaritan. They poured onto the streets of Jerusalem and their story was not once upon a time Jesus lived. Their, their story was Jesus is alive and we are witnesses of these things. Now, this is important. The reason you know anything about Jesus that he lived is because of this, these handful of people who poured onto the streets and said, we've seen him alive. See, Peter and John, a few weeks later after the resurrection, are going to the temple to pray. And they see this lame guy who's been lame from, from birth. And they say, silver and gold, I don't have, but that which I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And, and people saw what happened and they thought, wow, that's what Jesus used to do. That's you, what Jesus used to do. And Peter preaches then the sermon. Guess what Peter's sermon was about? It was not about one thing that Jesus taught. 
It was all about that Jesus rose from the dead. The story wasn't he lived. The story was he's alive. And in Acts 3.13, it says, And you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. He's looking at the very crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. He's looking at those same people, the same people that, that Peter was afraid of and denied Jesus. Was, he was facing that crowd. And you've got to ask, where did this courage come from? And he said to them, you disown the Holy One, in verse, verse 14, the Holy and Righteous One, and ask that a murderer be released to him. You killed the author of life, but God, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. How do you know, Peter? How do you know? We saw it. I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm telling you what I saw. It's easy to have a wrong account of what you believe than what you see. It's like if you see a car accident, you know what you saw. And they're saying, we are witnesses of this. We saw Jesus resurrected. Later, Peter was standing before Caiaphas, who had the power to take his life. And he said this, listen to this, Acts 4, 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we have been called to account for this act of kindness shown to this man who was lame, and we're being asked how he is healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom... God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. And he goes on, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. And there's no other name under heaven and earth given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, a, a lot of people, yeah, I believe, but we've got to go from believing in, believing that to trusting in. The very people who brought you to Jesus are the ones, you know, talked about Jesus, are the ones who claim that he rose from the dead. So if you're going to believe anything they said about Jesus, why wouldn't you believe the most important thing they said about him? More than just his good teaching. See, you can't differentiate between what he said and what he did. And this is my invitation to you this morning. Why not go the whole way? Some of you go, I like this aspect of Jesus or this element of Jesus. I like his teaching about that. But the most important thing about Jesus is, yes, he lived a sinless life. Yes, he did die on the cross, but he didn't just die. He, he rose again. Why, why simply be a respecter of Jesus? Why stop at an empty tomb? See, the epicenter of everything Jesus said and did is found in the resurrection. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, James, Paul, all saw. And we're witnesses. And we've got to go from I believe that to trusting in. And that's what happened in the book of Acts. In Acts 4.33, and it says, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
I'll read that again. Because that's what we want to see in our day. And with great power, the apostles, the believers in Jesus, gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. See, what this brought about was a whole new way of living. And going back to the words of Paul, and if Christ had not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. This is empty. And our faith is useless. But because He's alive today, He brings about a new way of living. And you and I can experience the goodness of God. See, this is not about how good we are. In fact, we've got no goodness to offer God. It's about how good He is. That He made a way where it looked like there was no way. Where it looked like it was impossible for us to have a relationship with God, a holy God. How could an imperfect creation relate with a holy God? But Jesus made a way for you and I to know God in our lives, to know Him in our hearts. Jesus didn't come to institute a religious system. In fact, in many ways, He fulfilled that system so you and I can relate, can know God in an intimate and a personal way. Friend, where are you at with God right now? Some of us, yeah, I believe parts. But the Bible says it like this. In fact, Jesus' words, He says, if you hold on to your life, you'll end up losing your life. But if you give your life to me, it's then and there you will find life. See, when you die to self and your way of doing things and, and you embrace God's way of doing things, is then and there things begin to make sense. Many people try to f find fulfillment and satisfaction in many different things. But there's just the emptiness on the inside. Yes, it may bring a temporary high or temporary joy, but we all know in our hearts something is missing. There's this deep longing in all of us to know God. And what we celebrate at Easter is that Jesus has made a way. It was a perfect sacrifice. He paid the debt. We owed it. He paid it. And He did it. So you and I can know our Creator. God's love was shown to you. He demonstrated His love while we're in our sin, while we're away from God. He did it by dying on the cross, rising again that we might know freedom. Friend, if you don't have that personal living relationship with Jesus, today it's not about something that you, you have to do to get right with God. What you need to do simply is just put your trust and your faith in Him. Because all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's our faith that gets us right with God because none of us are good enough. That's why we need a Savior. And so today, today, if you need to get right with God, how about just praying a simple prayer like this? A prayer where you acknowledge Him in your life that goes, Jesus, today, I put my faith and my trust in You. 
I thank you for dying on the cross, paying the price for my freedom. And today I give my life to you. Today I choose to trust you. And I thank you, God, that you're with me and you'll never leave me or forsake me. Today I declare I am yours and you are mine. But we pray today that you'd know the resurrection power of Jesus alive in you today. He lives. How do I know He lives? Because He's in my heart. He's in my mind. He's in my life. And He's working all around me. Today, my confidence is in Him. And I thank Him for what He did so that I might know God and God's plan for my life. Hey, we love you. We're for you. We're praying with you. And we pray that you have an amazing Easter as we celebrate together.